Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about the nutrient boron. In our opinion, this doesn't get near enough talk in ag circles, so we want to cover some of the things you might consider for your farm. And let's put it this way. This is something that affects every crop there is. I don't care if you're a big-scale farmer. I don't care if you are a gardener. I don't care if you're just talking about your lawn. Every crop or every plant out there needs boron. It's just a question of how much does it need? Should you fertilize for it? We're going to answer some of those questions as we go throughout the show today. If you'd like to give us a call to talk about anything that's happening on your farm or if you have any questions for us, our phone number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Uh, let me give you just one quick thing when we start talking about boron so you can think about this throughout the show today. I'll bet you at some point in your life, if you are a farmer, you have heard, oh, you got to be really careful with boron. It's really toxic. Well, look, everything is toxic. There is nothing that you use on your farm that couldn't damage your crop if you use it at the wrong rate or at the wrong time. So don't get too hung up on the fact that, oh, boron's toxic. Well, sure, if you put on 10 times too much of anything, it's probably going to kill your crop. You always have to be a little cautious when you are using anything on the farm. I don't care if we're talking fertilizer or herbicide, um, and even, for that matter, seed. I mean, we've seen guys way overplant or way underplant seed. Well, that dramatically hurts your income as well. So anyway, with boron... It is a micronutrient. You don't need a lot or your crop doesn't need a lot, but it does need some. And the the other thing that I'll say just to kind of start the show with boron, it's tremendously important at flowering. So in all crops, if you think about when flowering is occurring, there's usually a high need for boron at that point. Now, Boron's needed all throughout the plant's life, but that's usually the biggest need is at flowering. So you have to make sure you have ample boron at that point. Anyway, we'll give you a few more tips on boron as we go go throughout the show. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, Brian, get this one from GM. It says, which COVID vaccine did Brian and Darren get? I was at a meeting and Brian was talking about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I did talk about that at the field day, and I've talked about it at a few other meetings recently, too. And part of the reason why I've talked about it is this. If you plant BT corn, then you have basically said, I believe in that technology and I'm willing to get the COVID shot. (laughs) Now, you might go, wait a second, that's a complete disconnect. Let me just explain where I'm coming from here. All right. With BT corn, what happens is there is something inside that plant that all of a sudden the plant is now creating a protein it would not normally produce. That protein has effect on a specific pest. And by the way, with the BTs, uh, they're designed so some of the, there are just certain insects that they attack. And the reason why they control those insects is because those insects can't digest that protein because the insects have an alkaline digestive system. For human beings, 
for livestock, for basically all animals out there, they have an acid digestive system. That's why we can digest it just fine, doesn't have any impact on us, yet there are certain specific impacts, certain specific insects that it does affect. So now let's switch over to the COVID vaccine. So I got the Moderna one, and I don't care if you get the Moderna or the Pfizer, they were both designed with the M RNA technology, messenger RNA technology. Once they stick that needle in you, pretty soon thereafter, your body goes about producing a protein it wouldn't normally produce in order to control a pest. In this case, it's the COVID. But you see where the similarity is here. Uh, It's basically the same concept. And what I'm saying is, if you took the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine, now you should have no problem with GMOs. If you are a believer on the other side of, hey, I I like GMOs or biotechnology, BT, corn, that kind of stuff. If I like that, well, then you should you shouldn't have any problem taking the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine. Now, I'm not trying to make this a conversation about politics or whether or not you take the vaccine. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. All I'm saying is there is great similarity between what we do in agriculture and the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. So once I understood what those vaccines, how they were being developed, right away I'm like, well, why would I not take that? It's the same kind of stuff we use in in, uh, agriculture. Been doing that for 30 years. I totally get the concept. I understand the science. Makes complete sense to me. So I, I, I was great with that. And again, I'm not trying to talk you into taking the vaccine or not. I don't care. I'm just trying to say the technology is basically the same. Oh, and by the way, over in Europe, did you realize that they had to change their GMO laws just so they could get the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine going over there? So anyway, everybody seems to be all opposed to GMOs, even though or biotechnology, even though no person's ever died in the history of the world from GMOs or biotech. Uh, So a lot of people are opposed to it until all of a sudden, oh, now we're going to save millions of lives. Well, now it's good. Now we're okay with it. So I don't understand. But anyway, I took the Moderna. uh, I I just know that I wasn't going to take the Johnson & Johnson. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I don't understand the technology in the same way. It's not the same technology as what the Moderna and the Pfizer used with the mRNA technology. So anyway, that's that's what I did. That was my little talk and, and one of the things I was talking about at the field day. And I don't know if Darren wants to say what he got or didn't, or whether he got a vaccine or not. No, it's that that's a that's a personal choice if you want to or you don't. But I wanted to comment on Brian is something a little bit different. Dave up in the mid Michigan area sent us a picture of a semi truck and also harvesting machine. He said, "Pickle harvest is on in Michigan. That's awesome. My daughter loves pickles. I will pass that picture on to her, Dave. She's gonna love it. Hey, thanks for sending in the picture. We really appreciate it." We're going to talk about boron on today's program, and we'll be right back after this. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. 
Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our phone lines will be open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can also email us, radio at agphd.com. We're talking about boron on today's program, and I thought it was really interesting at the Ag PhD field. It didn't surprise me, but just the, the talk around boron and many of the the high yield farmers that were talking in our speaking tents were saying, you know what? Everybody asks us about boron. Our, our response is, well, what's your NP and K like? What's your sulfur like? Uh, do you have compaction issues out there? Do you have drainage issues out there? We got a lot of questions that we're going to get through first before we get to boron. Now boron is important, but it's not like the number one thing that's going to turn a 200 bushel crop into a 300 bushel crop or something like that. So I thought that was interesting. I also thought when we had growers here from the the South, like Chad Henderson down in Alabama, talking about how he manages boron versus farmers in the North and in the West, how they are managing boron, it's, it's a little bit different. And so we've got our friend Bill Brush on right now. He's a consultant out in California to talk about a different part of the country and how boron gets managed there. Bill, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to talk to you guys again. Uh, been putting up with a lot of fires and hot weather out here, but other than that, we're hanging in there pretty good. Yeah, the fire thing is is certainly no fun, no doubt about that. We've seen smoke flying no. through the skies here for a good portion of the summer, and it's, wow, we, we just think about that. If we're seeing it here this far away from where the fires are, it's that's a scary, scary deal, no <laughs> doubt about that. Yeah, so anyway... Uh, I, I heard your introductory on boron, and I, I thought it's interesting. I, I always look at, uh, when we look at uh, nutrients, they call them macronutrients for a reason uh, because they're the most important in terms of volume. So if you don't have the macro and even the secondary nutrients, which, you know, calcium and magnesium, right, uh, the other micronutrients in small amounts are, aren't near as significant. Now, once you've got those other macro and and secondary nutrients in place now you're looking at some real opportunity with 
the micronutrients to really help fill in the blanks and really push your production up. So um, boron particularly, if you're looking at corn or, or if you're looking out here at nut crops, so important in pollination and uh, so important to make sure you have the proper amount there when pollen tubules are formed to give you an opportunity to pollinate at a higher level than you would with, with lower amounts of, of boron. But uh, I caution everybody, uh, if boron sounds like something you want to try, there's two things you must know is one, it's called micro, and it's one of the true micro. It's just one to up to maybe two parts per million if you've got enough calcium to control that. But you better have your calcium numbers up in the good mid to high 60s if you're thinking about pushing boron levels up because uh, boron is controlled by calcium. And if you aren't careful, boron uncontrolled will basically burn up pretty much any crop. And so it's cautiously uh, a very important micronutrient, but very cautious and keep it on the the lows. I I like to keep it about the mid-side of excellence, about one and a half. And uh, depending on got enough calcium, I'll go up to two parts per million. Well, I like just the talk, Bill, about looking at a soil test for levels of boron, and I think that's that's one of the things that I'm amazed talking to growers really around the world about boron, and they say, well, how much do I need to add? And I say, well, what do you have in your soil test? In some areas, especially lighter soils, heavy rainfall area, low organic matter, they say they just can't hold boron in the soil. On our farm, we found it to be a little different. We've got higher organic matter, high, heavier soil. Our ground's frozen half the year. We're in a dry climate. We can hold boron here. What do you find with the soils you're working with, Bill? Can you hold boron in the soil well, or is it something that every year you're seeing those levels drop? You know, the size of the state, we have every every type of soil type you can come up with, from light beach sand clear up to the heavy almost gumbo type soils heavy rich thick clay uh and it's you're 100 percent right boron is really not uh, in its form it's not really positive or negatively charged it's more neutral and with that with high amounts of rainfall or high amounts of irrigation water and a, a porous soil like a light sandy one it won't hang around you'll be adding it every year to keep enough into the soil uh however on our head thicker, heavier soils that hang on to water and higher organic matter soil, they'll hang on to the boron. And, and all it is is that I always tell people, don't just put it on just because you did last year and you got a really good uh, success with it. Because if you don't know what it is from a soil, uh, what's in your soil test, you're making a huge mistake. I mean, why would you add it? Because it has so many detrimental effects if it gets too high. So it's a very, very important micronutrient, but very be very cautious if you don't know your number to wait because there's other ways you could foliar it if you find out your lighter later on and help you out uh you know i I talked about the pollination tubule formation and how it elongates them and really important to get good pollination with enough boron the other thing it does is it takes the, the starch and sugars from the leaves and puts it into the grain Again, for something like corn or out here, even our nut crops is very, very valuable for filling our walnuts and almonds late season or when they're putting it in. So uh, very important, but very cautious. I've seen some uh, some natural occurring boron that's in the soil out here up above Sacramento that will run upwards of 10, up to 10 parts per million of boron. And 
without enough calcium that basically looks like mid-season to late season. It looks like you hit that with a blowtorch. It basically will fry every leaf on that tree because it will not be controlled and will pull all the nutrients back from the leaf surface right into the grain, and it, and basically there's no foliage left for photosynthesis or transpiration. It's really a train wreck. Yeah, we definitely don't want that. And and you mentioned the <laughs> the foliar feeding, and I think about that with uh, tissue sampling that, that we're seeing more and more farmers starting to get into tissue sampling, but they see those levels go up and down, and when they get to a, a sensitive time, like, like you mentioned, when pollination is just super important to have enough boron out there, if you're short and you're not getting the rainfall to, to try and pull some in from the soil, uh, a foliar feed might be something you do. What do you see with these tissue sample levels? Because as things are moving up and down like boron is just a great example do you see that as boy on those downturns we need to be foliar feeding or when you see the trend is hey i got plenty maybe i just dip down for this week for whatever reason that that maybe i don't have to chase it what's been your experience well one of the things about uh, tissue sampling is, is that you know, remember you have different demands of different types of the season for what crop you're growing so you could be fine one week because the demand in your maturation of your crop not quite at a level that that really draws the nutrient and then the following week uh you could be really really low because now the demand is there and you don't have enough so without a starting basis of a soil test it's really difficult to know you know to to figure out can i uh, or do i have enough to start the season and then do I need to add a little bit with a foley or something like that? I mean, uh, one time there was a guy out here that, that he, he did it on almonds, which or almonds or whatever you want to call them. But uh, he did a foley, uh, basically a tissue sample every week through the season. And he saw the spikes, in the, and, the, and this is where I learned this from. You see, see one week we'd have ample enough zinc, and the next week we'd be deficient, and two weeks later we would be okay again. And it's just the demand for the plants. Uh, Doctor or Charles Walter, the originator, always had a statement that I love using, and it says, "If plants could talk, you couldn't stand the noise." And one of the things it just says, "There's lots of signals, but we don't know what they're saying to us all the time." And and that's where the experience, the value of a great soil test, and being able to trust the data and know where you're going and know where you've been uh, that leads up to the to really improvement in production. Yeah, and working with a great consultant can certainly help. we got one here. It's Bill Brush out in California. Bill, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info about boron. Good luck and stay safe out there. Hey, all I can tell you what about boron, make sure you've got the calcium, period. <laughs> End of discussion. <laughs> okay, very, guys. Very we'll good. Thanks, Bill. You bet. Well, that's one thing we're kind of lucky with here. We're in a good spot on calcium. If anything, we might have just a little bit too much. We'll talk more about some of those interactions and, and focus on boron coming up right after this. Stay tuned. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. 
AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Oh, we're having fun just telling stories from the Ag PhD Field Day. One one person that we met at the Field Day a few years back was Bob Bailey. He's a consultant out in Illinois, and we were talking about boron. I think specifically, Bob, I think you and Brian kind of got into a good boron discussion that uh, was really eye-opening for us, just hearing how, how different folks are doing it. Bob, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. And, yeah, I did have a good chat with uh, – Brian or Darren uh, at the field day about the moron theory. Yes, we did. We did have that discussion and uh, said yeah, said more said morons are right here in the room in the studio talking about this that you know we weren't putting enough on so we needed to put some more on and yeah. we put more on to the boron and we got some results. Right, it works, doesn't it? It, it does. Now, one thing that I thought was really good, and I, I know you kind of caught the end of Bill Brush there, and he was talking about how important calcium is in this, that if you're really short in calcium, that you can get into some trouble. Can you talk about that just a little bit and what you've seen? Yeah. Uh, without adequate calcium, a lot of boron really doesn't do you a whole lot of good because calcium and boron get together to help build plant health and 
they also get together to build the cell walls of the cells within the plant. So without the calcium, the boron just can't get the job done. And the calcium without the boron can't get the job done. They have to work together. So when you don't have enough calcium out there, there's a lot of things that aren't going to work properly. So knowing what your calcium level is is important, and maintaining that level is something that you just have to do. And good calcium levels do not necessarily have anything to do with the pH reading. I mean, calcium can be a little short, and you can have really high pHs and vice versa. So you have to know why your pH is what it is, but you have to maintain adequate calcium. Yeah, I think that's so, great. The the tying things together and, and just that interaction that's happening is important. So, all right, where well, you're at in Illinois, what do you see for calcium levels? And then how much boron do you have to put on if you're going for, for really big yields? Like, let's say you're going for 300 and 250 is just not going to cut it for you. You need 300. What do you got to put out there? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, you first got to have good, adequate calcium. That, that's got to be there. But when it comes to the boron, depends upon what your soil levels are to start with. So it takes a good soil test so you know where you're at. And normally I would have a guy add a minimum of two pounds of actual pea to his soils. And if he's a pretty short and he really is striving for high yield, I'll probably up that to three pounds of actual pea. And I've already gone as high as four. And that starts getting into a lot of money these days, and not a lot of guys are going to do that. Uh, I mean, it can be done, but probably two to three pounds is actual B is probably a better number to, to work at work from. And honestly, when you're doing it with dry, it's so much less expensive than the liquid product. Liquid products are great in crop. The dry ones seem to be good for building. And we had talked, Bob, about when do you reapply? And you said as soon as you start seeing those soil tests backing off a little bit, how much do you, right. what are you shooting for? Are you shooting for two parts per million or a part and a half? What do you like I'd, to get? I'd, I'd like to see at least a part and a half. And if it gets, gets to two, I'm not going to complain about that at all. But once it gets down around one or anything under one, it's time to put that two pounds to three pounds of actual B on. And soils with good organic matter content in them, you can put three pounds on there and the soil will hold it. It's not going to go away unless you get ungodly amounts of rain. <laughs> then, sure. then it might. But with decent organic matter and, and good well-drained soils, uh, It'll, it'll hold there, and it may hold for a couple of years. Yeah, that's been what we've seen on our farm, that, that things are holding. Yeah. We've got good organic matter, and now, frankly, we haven't had much rain lately either. That probably helps right, us a little bit. <laughs> but right. we're talking with Bob Bailey here. He consults out in the state of Illinois and also comes to our field day on a fairly regular basis here. Bob, we really appreciate seeing you again at field day, and, and thanks for being on the show today. Really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm glad to do it. You bet. Another guy who's at our field day is Rob Dedman. He consults down in the state of Arkansas. Rob, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing today? 
We're doing well. We're doing well. We're all recovered from field day. And, and uh, a couple of things from the sessions that you were in that I took away were, hey, we need to get NPK and sulfur out there, no doubt about that. But after that, where you're at in Arkansas, boron becomes pretty important. Are, are you shooting for a certain amount of boron to be out there at the beginning of the year, or are you spoon-feeding it throughout? So, you know, that I'm like Bob was there. You know, we I look for it in the soil test and, and and would love to see all of the soil tests come back with part, part and a half per million, you know, soil test levels. And, and, and we don't achieve that always. But we generally uh, try to apply a, a pound to two pounds of actual bee in the soil with uh, pre-plant fertilizers in a dry form. And then we like to, uh, we currently like to uh, side dress uh, our corn in particular with, uh, bar in our, in our liquid. You know, you mentioned putting out a pound or two, and I know for a lot of our listeners, when we talk about that, they're like, man, that sounds like a lot. And we've heard it just time and time again on the show already. Got to have calcium levels up there. You can't have all these other problems going on. You got to be set for high yield when you do this. Filling out the ends of the ear on corn, I'm already seeing pictures posted on social media with ears that aren't filling out to the end. And I know boron gets a lot of credit or blame, however you want to look at it, for for not being there in time or in sufficient quantity to fill out those ears. What do you see when you get to the corn? I mean, you're pretty famous, Rob, for 100-plus bushel beans with the guys you work with. How about on the corn side and filling out those ears? Where, Where do you get the boron for that? Is it a late application, or can you get it with that side dress? Well, you know, I, I think you can you can definitely get it with those side dress applications. You you've got to have it out there, you know, prior to the, the tassel formation and, and all that, and maintain those sufficient levels. And and with our tissue testing, we're we're watching that, and and we're not afraid to to add additional boron in a foliar application if if we get into a, a critical situation. But we always seem to to maintain good high levels of boron, you know in our in our plant tissues on our corn when we make those those side dressed applications all right rob i know you had a couple of questions about rice come up at your sessions that you did at the field day so talk to us about rice and boron is it super important there and if so what timing are you shooting for so yeah um you know typically we haven't looked at boron a lot in rice over the years and you know Boron is is important in every crop that we grow. Uh, it, it's part of the it's part of the food package, you know, as part of the fertility package. And in rice, what we're seeing is just like uh, corn and 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 soybeans, we're seeing uh, retention of uh, blooms. But on the rice, it would be we would see retention of the flowers once the the grain heads. And, and and maybe filling out more of the grains and, and having less blank grains on, on the head of rice. You know, so we, we've been seeing that using a a light foliar application. Uh, here recently we've been in, in conjunction with a uh, fungicide application, and then that's been going out at what we call the, uh, you know, prior to head emergence at the uh, late boot stage. Okay, I'm just taking down a few notes here. We don't get too many folks talking about rice, Rob, and I know you lit up when you got rice questions coming at you at the field day. Uh, anything exciting that you had happen at the field day or any any tough, tough question that you got? You know, the field day was great this year. It was The weather was beautiful. The, the people were inquisitive. It's, it's always fun to come up and, 
and, and be a part of that and, and get to visit with farmers and, and farmers ask questions. And, and, you know, farmers are still reaching out, asking questions, even, even, you know, four days out past it now. And, and, and that's always fun. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, the networking opportunity for agriculture. And I think that, you know, everybody that, that hasn't been there should sure take the opportunity to be there next year. Oh, thank you so much, Rob. We really appreciate it. We're talking with Rob Deadman down in Arkansas. Rob, thank you so much. Good luck to you here the rest of the growing season. Yeah, absolutely. Same to you guys. Talking boron on today's Ag PhD radio program and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire Herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking about boron. Just want to leave you with a few more thoughts on boron here today. First of all, if you were trying to raise 300 bushel corn, do you know that it takes 0.8 pounds of actual boron? 0.8 pounds of actual boron. Now, it's common for people to say, oh, no, boy, a quart of bor- liquid boron, that's 15% boron, could really injure your crop. Well, it's possible if you put it right on the seed, if you spray it, uh, well, even if you spray it over the top of the crop, probably isn't going to kill the crop, might, uh, might dang it up a little bit. But my point here is simply this. If you stop and think about it for just a second, how much actual boron does that quart really have? So let's just say for easy math, and I realize the number is a little, probably a little bit different than this, but let's just say that a gallon weighs 10 pounds. And if I was going to put a quart out there, that means I'd have two and a half pounds of something. So if that was a 10% boron solution, that would be a quarter of a pound of actual. If it was a 15%, that'd be point, we'll round it, 0.38 pounds. And you're only halfway there. So you see now why we start talking about boron quite a bit, because if you want big time yields, you got to start taking a look at this nutrient called boron because the needs are actually pretty high. I mean, when I think of micronutrient, I think about 10th of a pound or something like that. But, you know, when you start getting up near a full pound of actual uh, of the nutrient, that's a lot. And even for for soybeans, 100 bushel soybeans need about 0.7 pounds. Now, you can go to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app if you would like to, and you can plug in your crop and your yield goal. And all these things are in ratio. In other words, if 100 bushel soybeans need 0.7 pounds total, that would mean 50 bushel soybeans, a half, would take half the amount, so 0.35 pounds. But nevertheless, boron, because it's leachable, you have to be thinking about it each and every year. So you would never raise a corn crop or a wheat crop without thinking about the nutrient nitrogen because we know it's leachable. Well, boron's not as leachable as nitrate, but it definitely is somewhat leachable. So especially if you have lighter soils, it's very possible that every single year with every single crop, you need at least a little bit of boron. I'm not saying you need a ton, but you need at least a little bit. So I I just want you to be thinking about that to begin with, that, hey, every crop needs some, and you know what, a really good crop, um, it's going to need a fair amount. Boron is really important for moving sugar, food, and hormones inside plants. It's also really important for cell structure. Uh, By the way, (laughs) adequate levels of boron really reduce missing seeds by moving seed growth hormones. So this is one of the most common things when we're out looking at cornfields with farmers and the corn ear isn't filling all the way out to the end. And they'll say, well, looks like I may have planted just a little too thick. Okay, that's certainly possible. But it's also possible that your crop is a little short on boron. And if you had adequate boron there, then you'd be able to fill that ear out all the way to the end. So I'd really, really encourage you to start looking at this nutrient, not just with soil tests, but also with plant tissue analysis too, all throughout the season, just to see how are you doing? Are you you having adequate boron levels in that plant all the time? Uh, In terms of soil tests, 
so a lot of times we're talking at a bare minimum 1.2 parts per million up to three parts per million on boron. Now it's going to vary a little bit depending on the, whose soil test, who's running it, and that kind of thing. But it was said earlier, I know Bill Brush mentioned this in particular, uh, but um, but Bob Bailey did as well. Calcium. Calcium is a real big key. If you want boron safety, then high calcium is key. The other thing would be heavier soils. So the heavier your soil you have and the higher level of calcium you have, then the safer that boron becomes to the point where you could put on several pounds and not have any problem. Like for us on our farm, we put as high as about four pounds of actual on. Now, I, I, I should step back. We've actually done in trial work much, much, much higher than that just to see, well, what would actually kill the plant? It takes a lot in our soils that are heavy with high calcium, uh, plus the fact we don't have a lot of rainfall. So we don't get a tremendous amount of movement of that boron in the soil very often. But we do know that going way back, probably 15, 20 years ago, when we first started doing uh, plant tissue analysis, we were short on boron. And we started talking to people, these experts on boron, especially around our region of the country. We farm in South Dakota. And a lot of people are like, oh, you shouldn't be short on boron. I don't know why you'd have a problem with boron, but we consistently were finding this. And then we started talking to high yield farmers that go, oh, yeah, you got to get your boron levels up. So it's one of these things where I realize there are a lot of people out there who consider themselves experts, and maybe they are. But we're always believers here in, you know what, let's just try to prove whether or not they're right or they're wrong. I don't really care whether they're right or they're wrong. I just want to find out for myself on my own farm. The other way that we look at this now is over the last three years, we have been doing one-acre grid soil tests. And then we compare the soil test results at those GPS points to yield. So it will show us, we can build graphs, and then we can find out, all right, is more boron paying is it not paying or is it actually creating yield loss? And what we've been finding is more boron has been paying. So we continue to build our boron soil test levels up. The other thing, Darren mentioned this earlier, but in terms of building a soil, that's usually where we're talking about dry. So if we're trying to take our parts per million from one up to three, for example, we'll do that a lot of times with dry. We really like liquid because we can add liquid boron to our herbicide, which we've done in the past, pre-emerge and post-emerge. We can add it to foliar fertilizer. We can add it to, uh, you know, in, in other blends. We can add it to foliar fungicide, foliar insecticide. Now, you have to be a little careful because if you put very much on liquid, you're going to get a lot of leaf burn and that um, it, it won't necessarily hurt your yield or anything, but we sure don't want to see that if we can help it. I remember one of the first years we were doing some high yield plots, and one of the high uh, one of the farmers, one of these high yield growers who had a plot on our farm, had told our research lead Glenn to put a gallon of boron on. And part of our deal for the field day was Glenn, our research guy, was not going to tell any of us farmers who were doing these high yield plots what anybody else was doing, so we wouldn't know. We'd find out at the field day what everybody had done, and then kind of look at stuff and compare. Well, anyway, he called me because he goes, Brian, I know that I'm not supposed to tell you what any of these other farmers are doing, but I just wanted to run this past you because I got one of the guys that wants to put a whole gallon of liquid boron over the top of the corn crop. <laughs> and I said, okay, so why are you calling? And he goes, well, because I'm concerned that's going to kill the crop. 
Now, it didn't, it didn't kill the crop, but it really burned the crop bad. And the thing is, we just, because we're non-irrigated and because we're very often quite dry, we don't get the same response out of foliar fertilizer that some other people would. So by putting so much on in one dose, that hasn't really worked for us very well on our farm. That's not to say it couldn't work for you on your farm. If you want to try some of that, go ahead, just try it on a really small scale and be careful. But for us, what we found, we've had better success putting the boron in the soil somehow, some way, whether that's fall in a dry, whether that's liquid, and right with the herbicide pre-emerge in the spring. But we like getting the boron in the soil. We've gotten better response that way. But there's no reason why you can't put some boron out there foliar. We just, again, encourage you, try some things out. Don't get too carried on, carried away on rate, at least in the beginning. And again, always remember, with boron, it can leach. It's not going to stick around forever. And big-time crops need a lot of boron. That's just the way it is. Darren, you got anything else to add on boron? Well, it's just one of those nutrients that we get a lot of soil tests in where we see people just haven't tested. And we see incomplete soil tests. And you heard over and over again today, oh, you need to make sure your calcium levels are up good enough. And you need to check those soil test levels on boron before you say, well, I need a whole bunch or maybe I just need a little. You got to keep an eye on that and keep an eye on it over a period of years too to see your trends. One last thing I want to throw out here. Darren and I started recommending solubor, so a dry boron that could be mixed uh, in water. That's like a 20% boron product. We started recommending that probably 25 years ago or more with Cobra because what we were finding is if crops had better levels of boron in them, they didn't have as much leaf burn from the Cobra. So just thought I'd throw that in there as well. We're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag and answer your questions coming up next. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. In celebration of the Ag PhD Field Day, Farm Shop MFG is giving 10% off end zone fan controls and grain temp guard products. Sale ends midnight August 4th. To get your discount, visit FarmShopMFG.com and use the coupon code AGPHD2021. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. 
Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, and we are diving back into the Ag PhD mailbag. You can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or of course, you can just give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, uh, let's do the soil test one here first, Brian. We got this from Jeremy, and he said, uh, guys, I... I'm a young farmer from Montana, a lot of ground I picked up from renting, and I also have purchased one piece of ground. Harvest this year has been a 75% yield reduction compared to normal. And I sent you some soil tests here for you guys to to uh, give us an idea what we can do. Obviously, a lot of this ground has got a little ways to go. On average, getting only 35 or 40 bushel wheat, 40 bushel peas, 30 to 35 bushel canola, and I'm trying to build these soils up so obviously I can get more. I've been focusing on the phosphorus, uh, and you can see I've got some high pH soils. So uh, question for you on this Olson test. I know you guys say 100 parts per million is what you'd like to see on your own ground. Uh, what would I shoot for on an Olson test? Would it be the same? I was planning on putting 150 pounds of map on the ground that I own and 80 on the rented ground, also doing some banding. Okay, so first of all, when you're renting ground, I, I it's going to be really hard for me to advise you, especially a young farmer, to build that ground up unless you have a long-term lease. So what I would look at instead is more how much does the crop really need? And you can go to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app so you can plug in your yield goals for each of your different crops. Now, the other thing that I would say is we are big believers in doing grids or zones out there. Now, you don't have to do that every year, but if you do that occasionally, even once every four years, then you would have a much better idea of where your levels are high and low throughout the field, and then you can make adjustments and vary some things accordingly. So that has been unbelievably helpful for us in trying to better invest or more wisely invest our fertilizer dollars. But yeah, when we're looking at Olson levels of eight parts per million on one test, four on another, three on another, I, I mean, that that it's obviously a yield limiting factor for you. So I understand why you're working on that. You know, Okay, so let's put it this way. When I was your age, then I looked at things whole different because we were renting a lot more ground than we are today. Today, we own most of the ground that we farm. And so today, when we buy another piece of ground, we just do 
everything. I mean, literally everything. So in some cases, I'll spend $500 on fertilizer and soil amendments in one shot to fix everything. And now I'm set for the next 30 years. All I have to do is basically maintain that. So you can do that when you've been farming for as many years as we have and you own the ground. But on this rented ground, no, I'm just I'm just going to tell you, hey, look at what you're going to remove. I'd put that on maybe just a little bit more and kind of go from there. The other big thing that I want to stress to you here, though, is your soils are high in calcium, which is good. But if you put on a little extra sulfur and your soils are really low in sulfur to begin with, just get a little bit more sulfur on there than normal. And that's absolutely going to help you. So for example, you could use ammonium sulfate if you wanted to, because that would be a nitrogen source for the crops that need nitrogen. And then you'd also get some of that sulfur out there. So in your case, I don't know that I would necessarily say you need a bunch of elemental sulfur, but get some sulfur out there somehow, some way, because the sulfur is going to help release some of the nutrients that are in your soil, because you've got what we would consider excess calcium there. Your soil test levels are above 80% uh, in most cases. I'd also say that even though your potassium levels are high in terms of parts per million, they're certainly not high in terms of percent base saturation. So with your yield goals, I wouldn't be incredibly concerned about that, but I'd still be a little concerned about that. You got to continue to put at least some potassium on there. And I see they do have recommendations to put some potassium on your soil. For me, I'd, I'd be working on trying to eventually get my base saturation potassium up to 4%. You'll find better grain quality, better uh, overall standability, less lodging in other words, and you'll get higher yields too in the long run. So those are just some of my thoughts. Now, on the ground that you own, if you want to push it a little more, then here's usually what I'll tell people. I'll just say, look, if let's say you got to put 40 pounds of something on for the crop, then maybe you want to put 80 pounds on to get to a build program. So double what grain removal would be. So where we're, where we want to build it up slowly over time, over 10 years or 15 years or something, that's a lot of times what we do is we just put on double whatever grain removal is and go from there. All right. I like the idea of doing the banding too. That's a good way to get nutrients in higher concentration close to your plants. It uh, is. It's just when you start talking about wheat, for example, I'm going, yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's banding works great for these crops that we raise in 30 inch rows, but for the crops we raise in seven inch or 10 inch rows just doesn't work re- nearly as well because the crop roots are going to most likely find whatever you put out there for nutrients. The advantage then, even if you are in narrow rows, would be that your your nutrients have less chance for tie-up in the short term. So you have a better your roots have a better chance to find those nutrients, and l- there's less chance that the nutrients will get tied up. So even in the narrow rows, you'll get some gain. You just won't get as much gain as when you're in 30-inch rows by banding. All right. Thank you for the questions. Really appreciate that. And if you have more as you get going, I know a lot of times when you get started farming, you're, you're definitely looking for, for some resources and some other opinions. We'd be happy to answer any of the questions we can help you with. Oh, let me throw one other thing out too. So first of all, it's really tough. He mentioned 75% yield reduction. I have to assume that's because of lack of rainfall. If you have nutrients in ample supply and well-balanced in the soil, and I'm talking everything from NPK to secondary to micronutrients, then your crop absolutely will use less water. 
Because what happens is if your crop starts running short on any one nutrient, it starts pulling water in because that's how the nutrients get into the plant is with water. So in other words, you make your crop a water waster when you don't have enough fertility there for it right at the outset. And that's one of the biggest things that we've learned over the years, and we can absolutely see it in drought years like this year in our farm. Um, and granted, we're we're not normally going to be as dry as what you are out in Montana, but we, we both face this major challenge that the crops we're trying to raise um, – we're short on water all the time, it seems like. And so that's why we want to try to do everything else right. I'll also say that weeds, insects, and diseases are much more harmful to you than they are to somebody in Illinois, typically, because it's kind of like our dad always used to say. He was originally a farmer in Iowa, and he said, guys, the number one thing I learned when I went moved to South Dakota, farmed in less rainfall, is that when I was in Iowa, rain corrected a lot of my mistakes. He said, any little problem you get in a drought year or in a drought season or whatever, or just flat out you're dry, you don't, I mean, much drier than they would be in Iowa or Illinois, those problems are all amplified because of the dry weather. So you've got to try to get the little details right and don't let pests create major yield loss in your crops. All right. One from Dave here in Michigan, and he said, uh, we always talk about drying corn, but I don't know much about drying soybeans. We generally try to just arrange our harvest around that. We usually haul to town the first couple loads of the day, wait until they're 14% or less to start putting things in the bin, and then we run air on them. Yep. I'm wondering, what's the max moisture you would put in a bin to run air on, and when would you start to run them through a grain dryer instead? We won't run them through a grain dryer. It's too tricky. And I feel like I have a tremendous amount of experience drying grain because I was the guy who ran the, the grain dryers for corn on our farm for 20 years with hundreds of thousands of bushels every single year. But I, I, I just worry about soybeans. So what we'll do on our farm is we'll start harvesting about 18% moisture, and it's fine. You just throw it in the bin, and you have a system like uh, um, we, we often talk with Farm Shop, MFG. Uh, they've got systems. There are other companies that have systems, but you want something that can control your bin fans to turn them on and off. And if if you have that done automatically, it works fantastically well. The other nice thing when you throw wet beans in that bin is that means you started earlier. You had more hours you could harvest during a day. You were able to, well, maybe not necessarily, because you still have to get the beans out of the pods, obviously. But the big thing here is if you can harvest a day or two earlier, or in some cases a week or more earlier, that gives you so much more time to do everything from soil testing, fertilizer application, tillage, all that fall work. It's awesome. So yeah, we love harvesting wet beans. We have less field loss, better grain quality, and these systems cost very little money. Just run air on them and it'll dry down in just a few weeks down to your 13% you're targeting. Hey, thanks for the question, Dave. Always always a good deal to get some more advice, get, get another idea about how you can handle grain and make more money on it. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.